I'll do that. Let's get things going. Happy Monday. We're underway on this Monday, December 4th. Steinberg and Aaron along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, um, lots to talk about this hour of Flames Talk as we're underway on a Monday from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We got to start with Monday's practice news, and that surrounds Jacob Markstrom. So... I'll give you what I saw first because uh, I saw it all transpire in real time. This is basically what happened Monday morning at practice. So going through, uh, they were going through what I believe was maybe their third last drill. And Jacob's in his regular starters net or the home net. And there was a scramble in front of the crease. And Jacob had gone to make a stop on one side. So I guess it would be his to his left. So his left post. Um was out of, out of position, making one stop. And because Jacob is always dialed to 10, that's part of what makes him an elite NHL athlete, he dove across trying to make a miraculous save um, on the scramble. And so what happened was he went from his left to his right, stretched across, and flung out his right arm to try to make the stop. Now, unfortunately, I was sitting right in front of Kelly Rudy, and Rudy called it immediately as it was happening. He's like, that hit him on the inside of the blocker. That's not good because there is little to no padding. Uh, you as the goalie gear nerd yeah. would know this better than I would. So no stick in his hand? Uh, was- no, no stick in his okay. hand. He dove across trying to make it with his arm. He made He made the stop. And as such, Puck got him right in the unpadded part of the blocker hand, his right hand, uh, either got him in the wrist or the hand or the finger. Uh, I know Franchise, who was in a little bit of a different situation, was right on top of the Flames Tunnel. He said that one of the fingers was bleeding. Anyway, what happened was he jumped across or dove across trying to make a miraculous save, succeeded at doing so, um, but the puck got him, and it was a well-fired puck, uh, and it got him right in the hand. Uh, Immediately... Jacob, you could hear that he was, uh, like, you could hear him exclaim. Uh, like, you're like, okay, that didn't sound good. Because at first I was like, oh, that was an unbelievable stop. Then I'm like, oh, no. Like, as soon as it happened, Rudy was like, oh, no. And uh, so then immediately Chris Tanev is like, hey, 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 hey. Like, trainers come over here. Jacob went right off. Trainers went down the hallway. Shortly thereafter, a um, couple of other, you know, Craig Conroy and and uh, Jason LaBarber went down the tunnel and they did come back. Jacob did not come back. Shooter Tutor replaced him in the home net. And that's kind of where things are. That's what we know at this point. So first and foremost, I know there's going to be a lot of talk about, well, what happens next? And what if this or what if that? What if he's out this long? What? Understandably, I get it. But I think the number one thing is that, like, before we get too into whether or not he's going to miss X amount of time or not and what happens if he does, I, I just really hope it's nothing long-term. And um, because I've really, really appreciated the energy and attitude that Jacob has brought to the group this year. 
He has been positive, yet still completely and utterly dialed. That seething intensity is still there. That's a good way to put it, yeah. But you feel like there, it's just, I think it's a little bit more upbeat mixed with that 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 intensity. And I, I feel, and I know that maybe the numbers don't fully back it up as it stands right now, but I feel like he's taken a significant step back to what Jacob Markstrom is and what we believe him to be this year compared to last year. So more than anything else, I just hope that this is nothing. A stinger, and we see him right back on the ice on Tuesday morning against the, the Minnesota Wild or Tuesday morning for morning skate against the Minnesota Wild because I, I really think he's having a strong season, and it would be a real shame if there had to be any interruption or halt in that really good season. So I'm, I'm you know, just from a personal standpoint, I'm crossing my fingers that all is good on the Jacob Markstrom front. Yeah, I'll reiterate, you never want to see a guy get injured. You certainly never want to see a guy get injured in practice. And for full disclosure, I was not there, did not witness it, followed it on Twitter, followed Steinberg's medical diagnosis in real time. I say which that I in would jest, never do. which you would never do. But yeah, which is why I'm like, I'm, I'm not even willing to go down the road of did it look good? Did it look bad? Because I know enough now that that you don't have a medical degree. Well, and that, to call it from 150 feet is a little tricky. That that and enough times things have looked really bad and a guy's back in. You mean like Chris Tanev comes back out of the tunnel and you're like, you should be. Well, remember that Oliver Shillington hit? In, yes. Uh, the 21. Probably the scariest season? hit I've seen live. Terrifying. He was at practice. The I next thought broken day. neck and there he is. Uh, exactly. So and then sometimes something that looks rather innocuous can knock a guy out for X amount of weeks. So I, I'm not willing to speculate because that's just, but that, I, I just, I really hope that you don't usually see that at practice. You don't see guys calling for trainers. You don't see guys leave that urgently and not come back. Uh, so I just, I just hope it's nothing major. Yeah. I hope it's minor. I hope it's a stinger and that he's not out too long. I really do. And to me, to bring it back to Markstrom's performance this year, for me, he's been their best player, even though the stats don't necessarily bear it out. And you want to talk about going back to training camp. He set a tone and he had some edge for himself coming into camp after what was a disastrous season last year. And I know his tone has continued. I know it hasn't gone unnoticed in our media circles when it comes to media availabilities with Jacob Markstrom. He's very pointed, very dialed in. And on the ice for me, I think he's responded great. I don't have a whole bunch of metrics, some fancy stats that are going to back up his play because, to be perfectly honest, he's right in the middle of the pack in terms of starting goalies when it comes to goals against average, save percentage. The one thing I will point out is that he's in the 90th percentile in high danger save percentage. That was what I was going to League average sits at 786, so he's almost a full 100 points higher in high danger save percentage. But the thing is, in mid-range save percentage, he's at 864, so he's only a couple ticks higher than the high danger one. So I guess keep peppering him with high danger chances. I don't know. But at the end of the day, for me, he's been Calgary's best player and he's taken a game or two, stolen a point here, stolen a couple points there. To me, he's really been the backbone of this team to this point of the season. Well, it just has and And if you take a look at goalies who have 200 minutes played minimum, Jacob Markstrom's five on five high danger save percentage ranks him seventh. He's at uh, 869 in that regard. Um, so, and you're talking about some pretty solid goalies in front of him. Uh, Swayman, Ingram, who just got named the first oh, star of the month for November. Out of nowhere. Demko, Flurry, Hill. Those are the names in front of Jacob Markstrom right now. So, he's. I, I actually think he's having a strong season and, and has taken a significant step from the frustrations of last year. So, fingers crossed on the Jacob standpoint. Here's 
all we can tell you right now from head coach Ryan Huska as uh, he was asked a few questions post-practice on Monday about Jacob's situation, including if there was anything he could tell us about his status. He's going to get evaluated. Uh, I didn't have a chance to see him or, or meet with him before he before I got off the ice, so I, I don't have anything further. Yeah. That happened, or um, I saw him try to make a save, but from that point, I don't, I didn't really know what what was going on. Yeah. Probably wonder anything until tomorrow at the earliest. It seems. I, yeah, I'm not sure. As I said, he's gone to get looked at, and um, we'll have to go from there. Can you just talk about the importance of Markstrom this year? Um, overall. From the start of the year on, he he set a bit of a, a tone or a. You know, in the mood for our team in regards to how he came back over the summer. And I think a lot of people looked to him to see how he would respond. And um, when his teammates came back to see the mentality or the shape that he was in um, and the edginess that he had, I think it rubbed off on a lot of people. So he carried that over with his play in games. We know early in the year the games could have been much worse if it wasn't for his his play early on for us. Um, so he's been excellent. He really has in a lot of different ways. And can you just speak to you know, how the organization would handle it if he's lost for any sort of time with this potential injury. Yeah, handle it in regards to... Well, I mean, obviously you're going to see Dustin come up if that's the case, and, mm-hmm. and then would you consider a platoon, or how would you go about assigning your starters? Yeah, it's same as we always would. I mean, we'll we'll uh, we'll see what happens today, of course, again, but yeah, we, we would have a, a rotation set in advance for whatever we have to deal with. You guys have always said that's one of your strong your strengths in the organization. Mm-hmm. It's not something you'd worry too much about. No, no, we'll be fine. Like I said, it's just we're looking forward to some good inf- or good news today. Yep. That is head coach Ryan Huska after practice on Monday. Um, fortunately, and and I wanted to make sure that we spent most of the time just talking. Yeah, we we hope this is just something minor. Uh, fortunately, if Jacob does have to miss any time. The Flames are decently situated if this does go down that road. Um, because make no mistake, in my eyes, Markstrom is this team's number one, no questions asked. I know that there are others who disagree and say, give Vladar more time or, or Dustin Wolf should be on top of the depth chart. And, and I understand those opinions exist, and, and that's fair. In my opinion, there's, there's no doubt who is the true number one. There's only one guy on this roster with a proven ability to play a number one workload 50 to 60 games a year and sustain a high level, high save percentage over that time. That said, Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf, I believe in the short, shorter term, I maybe even longer than that. I think they give you a chance to remain quite competitive because we, we have seen Vladar look number one quality on many given nights in his two-plus seasons as a member of the Flames. In fact, his last start, he was brilliant on the road against Colorado. We know what Dustin Wolf's all about. We know the excitement that exists on the Dustin front uh, based on his time in the American League. And I've had no issues and have felt he looked right at home in his two NHL starts. So if they do have to roll with that pairing for any period of time. I think the Flames would stay competitive. And beyond that, there's not a whole lot else we can dive in on. We'll see if Wolf gets recalled between, as we're talking right now on Monday afternoon and Tuesday when they play the Minnesota Wild. If they do that, they'd roll with Dan and Dustin at the NHL level. I would imagine Connor Murphy would get the recall from the ECHL, and he'd pair up with Oscar Dansk 
at the American League level. And uh, now we wait and see. But fingers crossed. And if it does end up being worse news, the the fortunate thing is the Flames are decently situated in that spot. Yeah, I imagine as much as you don't want to see your number one goalie and Jacob Markstrom go down, there's little to no panic in that goalie room. You're not worried. You're not, I shouldn't say you're not worried, but you're comfortable based on Vladar's last start. You're comfortable in the fact that you've got the two-time AHL goalie of the year and AHL MVP waiting in the wings, who is currently tied for the AHL lead and wins as a 920 save percentage, 2.50 goals against average. And if you even want to take it a step further, you've got Oscar Dansk, who's rolling with like a 926 or a 928 save percentage in the A as well. So you're actually, this is your deepest position from top to bottom. Goaltending is Calgary's biggest organizational strength. Yeah, and per I don't capita. Think like, yeah. You've got, you've got way less of them, and they're pretty deep. Well, I hope you're not carrying 12 goalies. Otherwise, that is just miserable for everybody involved. But yes, from top to bottom, it is your organize, biggest organizational strength. As it stands on Monday, December 4th at 4.15, there has been no recall according to the AHL transactions page, which I always like to keep an eye on, nor would I expect a transaction anyways on a Monday. That's something that you can take care of early Tuesday morning. Well, but the, on, you know, you'd have to, like you bank more cap space. Exactly, all that type exactly. Of so while it's unfortunate that Jacob Markstrom sustained an injury in practice today, and, and maybe, again, he may, well, he did that. sustain an injury. We just don't know the extent of the injury. Well, it's I don't either, think there's dispute. Remember, there's always the, did he get hurt or did he get injured? So, oh, so that, there's a differential yeah, there, there? There is. If you're injured, you okay. miss time. If you got hurt, you can play All right, through. fair enough. I, uh, I actually very much appreciate, as a stickler for the details. You do love I semantics. Do, I do very much appreciate so that I know one. I have to bring my semantics game when I'm on with Look Vicks. at you. I'm just going to... Steinberg one, Vickers zero. We'll we'll keep you updated on the score as we go along in the program. Thanks for tuning in. Um, so that's the that's the Jacob Markstrom situation. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, and fingers crossed on that. Uh, Flames talk underway on this Monday. Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Text line open as always at nine sixty nine sixty. We can now officially. Yeah, got anything before I was just going to say on this one text, they actually go two more deep with Dusty Nickel and Brent Cron just floating around Calgary. So there wow. you go. There's your depth. Dusty Nickel, anyway. Not, not so much the other guy? No. I don't think legally he can come back. Signed retirement papers, did he? Yeah, and he also has an NHL game. Yeah. So once you play so in he the couldn't, NHL. So he couldn't be an e-bug. Barb's told us post-game after that e-bug game where Nickel had to back up that if you've played in the NHL, yeah. you can't be an e-bug. Because it's like an unfair advantage. Well, I would have even thought just by way of having the pro experience that he has because you signed them to an amateur tryout. That might be. I just remember Barb's was like, yeah, I don't think we could have gone. I couldn't have gone because I played in the NHL is basically what he said. Fair enough. Uh, a couple of texts at 960, 960. Uh, I'm still a big fan of Ladar. Dude has untapped potential and could be a legit starter in the future, whether here or somewhere else. I still believe that as well. Uh, I still think that there's there's more to the Dan Vladar package, but I will say the last two seasons I'm a little I, I'm I'm a little worried about the consistency. I was gonna say that's the, the biggest the sub nine hundred for two straight seasons, and I know that this is still early in year two of that, but I I I would like to see a little bit more consistency from start to start. I know that's not always easy when you're only starting um, once every however many games. I understand that, but I just think the swings have been a little bit too dramatic or the, the poles have been too far apart. 
um, for me to be fully confident, but I, I still think there's something there. He's young. I still think there's a high level of athleticism and ability. And so I'm not, that's why I, I think that you still want to use him. If you're going to move him, then I still, I, I think you want to look at him as an asset still. Yeah, and the consistency thing is the one element I was going to bring up, so you beat me to it, because there are games where he looks absolutely dominant, and we saw it in his last start. He ended up with, geez, I don't know. He To me, he kind of stole that game against the Vegas Golden Stats Knights. weren't even that good, but he was really, or, he was really, really strong in that game uh, against... Yeah, it was uh, Vegas, was it not? Against Vegas on the Monday. 27-28, yeah, yep. I'll take that all day. Oh, that sorry, is... I was thinking about the Colorado game. Yes, you're right. The Colorado game was when it was not great. Right. The Vegas game, yes, his stats were very strong. But you still need to piece, and I'm not saying you have to have a 964 save percentage every outing you're going out, especially when you're being spot started. And in that game in particular, but look at didn't the even find out. From Saturday to Monday. Yeah, 875 against, to yeah. a 964. Yeah. The game prior to that was a 903 when you made 28 saves on 31 shots. And then, you know, there's goals against the 4, 3, 6, 3 in outings prior to that. If you could find a way to be a 2.75 guy the whole way through, regardless of circumstance. That puts your team in a better position to win night in, night out. And one other text says, uh, the question becomes, if when Markstrom misses multiple games, who do the Flames treat as the de facto one? So far, we've only seen two games, and they split them. Uh, my, um, I, 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 The way I would explain that or the way I would answer that is, I think Vladar starts as the incumbent de facto one, if that is the situation, but then it's based on it's based on performance, and I, I don't think that it would be that. Like, I don't think that the leash would be that long, and I think that the hesitancy to change or make a switch would be very little if needed. See, from my perspective, I would default to Vladar in the very next game, and again, this is assuming a hypothetical of Markstrom being out multiple games, but I go Vladar game one, I go Wolf game two, and then I put them against each other, and that's who gets game three for me. Yeah. That's not a bad way. Straight of up competition. I just think that Vladar gets the first As one. As he should. And then if he plays well, he gets the next well, one. Well, and especially considering his last performance. I think you don't jump Dustin Wolf ahead of him based on... And we talked minutes ago about the inconsistencies in Dan Vladar's game. Well, he's coming off of quite possibly the best goaltending performance of the season for the Calgary Flames especially when you factor in circumstances of finding out at 4.30 in the afternoon that, oh, yeah, and by the way, in two and a half hours, you're going to hit the ice. So I think you automatically go Vladar for the next one. But then from my perspective, I would go, well, and you know what? No, I'm going to go Vladar, and if he gives you another 964 game, you're going to go back to him yeah. again. So, uh, Okay, so that's the Jacob Markstrom situation. Um, let's move to that, to what we saw on Saturday and specifically the Nikita Zadorov situation. And I think after this hour of flames talk, we can kind of officially close the chapter on the Nikita Zadorov trade request and eventual trade. He played his first game as a member of the Canucks on Saturday, picked up an assist on the eventual game winning goal, which was into an empty net, but it was the game from 167 feet in a four, three win. Um, so let's put a bow on why we're here. Let's put a bow on why Nikita is no longer a member of the Calgary Flames. Starting with his comments before the game on Saturday morning. This was him, uh, his first large media availability as a member of the Vancouver Canucks from Saturday morning. Just a little snippet, and this is the last 55 seconds of it. You know, the business side, you get it, your professional acting. Yeah. Business is the side of it. But given everything that's gone into it, how hard has it been for you personally? 
it's business. That's, you know, I mean, obviously that's our lives, but it's part of the business. I mean, I have to be professional. No, no, nobody gives a shit about my feelings, right? At the end of the day, so I'm, I'm, I'm showed up to the game. I'm playing for my teammates, no matter what team I'm playing, and then I'm leaving everything on the ice. So I don't think I'm in the position right now to cry about like how did I feel. Lucky Matt, do you wish that the trade request had had stayed private or had not gone public? No, I'm happy where I'm at right now. From April, when we did exit interviews at the end of last season, you said. You know, you could see yourself being a Calgary flame, flame for life. What changed between April and a couple of weeks ago? I went and got a contract offer. So, yeah. AV with a banger final yeah. question. Um, Scrum buster, we call that one. Well, I was I was going to ask that. I was like, I'll, if, that, that was the exact question I was going to ask. I was just about to ask that, and then you did. I'm oh, sorry for stepping on your toes, buddy. No, doesn't matter who asked it. You you probably asked it better than I was going to ask it. So, uh, besides, I would have been all like you know, pillow talk, Pat, uh, Nikita. You uh, ooh, you uh, said you wanted to be a flame for life. So why are you leaving it, us? You asked it better. Uh, here's here's how I understand how everything went down um, over the last few weeks since the trade request, uh, because it was. Very, very similar to the Tyler Toffoli situation that you and I were all over at the draft in Nashville. Um, I, I The only difference is there were games going on and everybody was together, and there there wasn't obviously that happening in the summertime. But So kind of chronologically as to how it all played itself out from, from what I understand, the two sides kind of talked late in camp or early in the season. And the Zadorov camp, his, his representative Dan Milstein and the Zadorov camp uh, said they were only interested in a long-term deal. Um, kind of in the six, seven-year range is what I understand. So the Zadorov camp were interested in a long-term deal. The Flames were not willing to go down that road. So no contract offer ended up being tendered. So when Nikita says, I didn't get a contract offer, he's technically correct. But that's not because there weren't contract talks. Very similar to the Toffoli situation. Flames weren't will- Flames were willing to go short term. Toffoli camp only wanted long term, so there was nothing to talk about. And I think the, the situation was almost identical here in that the Flames were were willing to go shorter, but six seven years was not a situation they were ready to go down. Um, and and the reasoning I think is fair because. They have long-term contracts for guys in Nikita's age range already with Uyghur, with Huberdeau, with Kadri. Kadri's a little older, but I mean, Zadorov's getting closer to 30 now. His next contract will be, be, he'll be 29 when it kicks in. Exactly. So, exactly. So you're in a a situation, those and I think you should leave reference. Uh, So you're in a situation where not only do you already have a few long-term contracts for guys in that age range, but you also still are figuring out Hannafin and Lindholm. And whether you agree or not, those are the priorities and those are the ones the Flames need to have definitive answers on before they go long-term with anybody else. So going long-term now or going long-term in late September or early October, I don't believe would have made any sense for the Flames. Um, and, And I think being patient and saying right now we can't do that was a very, very fair answer from the flames on Zadorov. So then there's, there's no contract offer. There's no contract tendered because they're pretty far apart. And we're talking like three and six or two and six or something like that. Um, so no contract ends up getting offered. Then Zadorov's on the third pair. He's playing as a number five defenseman, does not have a contract and, and no long-term deal is coming anytime soon. He's looking for a big deal as a pending unrestricted free agency in the summer. So, bam, 
no contract, no long-term deal on the table, not getting the playing time that would really help the cause and getting a big fat offer in the summer. Trade request, here we are, a few weeks later, the deal's made with Vancouver. You can debate whether or not they got enough for them, but they didn't retain a single dollar, gave themselves a lot of flexibility, got two assets for a guy that I believe needed to be moved out. That's not a shot at Nikita because I'm a big fan of the guy, but the trade request and the noise was a distraction. And so that is something that I believe needed to be, from everything that I understand from a number of people that I really trust, that is something that that needed to be expedited. And so they did it in a few weeks. They got two assets and didn't retain a single dollar. So that's kind of why we are where we are with Zadorov, now a member of the Vancouver Canucks. Just another note on the return is you didn't retain any salary, and you, in my opinion, you have three other higher-profile unrestricted free agents at season's end that you may want to retain on down the road, or even if you retain on one of them or two of them, you've left yourself the opportunity to be a third-party broker in eating some salary in order to gain assets down the road as well. So on top of the draft picks and clearing out salary, um, freeing up roster space and cap space to recall whomever you'd like to at a moment's notice from the Calgary Wranglers, you have that as well. And just to go back to your breakdown of the timeline and whatnot on Nikita Zadorov, like I mentioned, he'll be 29 when his next contract kicks in. Do you want to commit? And imagine he wants a raise over his current AAV and his agent made it very clear that their party believes he's the best defenseman on the Calgary Flames whether that's a negotiating tactic, ploy, what have you. But I imagine he'd want to raise on his 375. So suddenly you're looking at six or seven years at a cap hit higher than that for a, a 33, 34, 35-year-old Nikita Zadorov on the back end of that deal. That's not, a, that's not a contract I sign. And I know I'm a little lower on Nikita Zadorov than you are. I think he's a five, maybe a short-term four and a pinch. But that is not a contract, regardless of whatever organization I'm in, that I'm you excited know- about signing i i would be okay with it if the situation was a little different you know if if we knew exactly what direction this thing was headed if lindholm hannafin were both going to be moved um and maybe another one of the long-term deals was going to be moved then then you know what i wouldn't have such a problem with a six i'm a big nikita fan i really am and and i thought there was a lot of innate value in him saying he wanted to be here for life and i i do think he did but Part of that was wanting that long-term deal and the timing just wasn't right. And so I actually don't, the the only thing I don't agree with was Milstein's tactic of going public, but they might look at it and say it worked as Nikita said in the question that that Danny asked him like, no, I'm fine with where I am. So you wish it hadn't been public. No, no, I'm I'm fine. I got what I want. Well, he said, I'm happy with where I am is what he said. You could interpret that if you'd like. So I, I don't. I, I got no. I'm no begrudge Nikita. I, I got nothing bad. Nothing bad to say about the guy. I think he was a damn good Calgary Flame. I think he played well uh, as as a member of the Flames. He grew as a player. But I think that that's kind of where we are. Dan Milstein, Nikita Zadorov are absolutely 100% well within their rights to look out for themselves because teams look out for themselves. Right. As a player, you got to be an independent contractor sometime. So it doesn't make him selfish. It doesn't make him a me-first guy. It just makes him a guy who is like, okay, understanding the situation, maybe there's another tactic we have to take. And there we are. That's the situation on the Flames and Zadora. And I would have been comfortable with you know, re-signing out a three-year term at four, four, two, five, or four, five, particularly if you know you're moving out a couple of defensemen, whether it is the pending unrestricted ones, or you know that there's going to be a bit more opportunity 
uh, for Nikita Zadorov. But that kind of term, that kind of, and I'm ballparking the price. It could be higher, it could be lower. I'm just pulling a number out of you know where. But a six or seven year deal at a number north of that is something that is a non-starter from my perspective. It is Pat and Vicks along with you on this hour of Flames Talk. It is a Monday edition of the program. And uh, hey, we uh, announced it a little earlier today, a little earlier on this Monday. Coming up on Thursday, July 11th, it's Motley Crew coming to the Scotiabank Saddledome. You can listen to Flames Talk for opportunities to win tickets all this week, uh, or you can go to Ticketmaster and get your tickets as tickets are on sale coming up this Saturday. So July 11th is Motley Crew at the Scotiabank Saddledome, one of your first Stampede announcements. Uh, the crew at Stampede, not bad. All the information at Ticketmaster, or you can go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 for more. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you as always by our friends at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Gents, we saw Andrew Mangiapane. I believe it was just four shifts in the third period of that 4-3 loss to Vancouver on Saturday night. So definitely dialed back ice time for Andrew Mangiapane in the third period. We've seen Ryan Huska do this throughout the year in in games where it's close and, and maybe they need a goal. Um, they, he, he tends to shorten his forward group and maybe go down to 10 forwards or three lines. Uh, and Mangiapane was one of those guys on Saturday. Gents, what are we, uh, what are we seeing in Mangiapane's game of late? He looks like a frustrated player right now. And he's looked that way for most of the season to me. I mean, you think back to how good he was two years ago, 35 goals and 82 games, and then less than half as many, 17 goals and 82 games last season. And this season, he struggled to put the puck in the net. And I really think that when he got that big contract following his breakout season back in 2021, 2022, he put a lot of pressure on himself to be a goal scorer as opposed to being the guy who went out there and outworked everybody on the ice and and scored goals doing that and and going to the hard areas. And now I think he's kind of trying to be more of a goal scorer than a grinder who scores goals. So uh, I think he's a little bit frustrated that it's been harder for him to put the puck in the net the last couple of seasons. And we've seen him take some bad penalties as a result. So I think he's just got to get back to basics and uh, probably going to sound strange for me to say this, but stop thinking about scoring. Just go out there and be that hardworking, pain-in-the-butt player that we know he can be because some guys are naturally gifted to score. Some guys have to work a little harder for goals. I think he probably falls into the the latter category. So for me, it starts with uh, just getting back to the basics for him. To me, he's been the third best player on his line with Lindholm and Sharon Govich of late. And the stats don't look too bad because he's got five points in his past seven games. But to go back to the goal scoring front, he hasn't scored in six straight games. So that's a, a bit of a an alarm bell for a player, as you mentioned, that a couple seasons ago had a 35-goal year. Right now, as it stands, he's on pace for 17 goals on in the 2023-24 season. And that's not what you want, need, or expect out of Andrew Mangiapane. I'd like to see him be a little bit hungrier in the offensive zone, to your point, Will Z, get back to 
being sort of the greasy grinder type player, you know, in and around the net, looking for tips, deflections, rebounds, that sort of thing. And I'm sure he's aware of that. And in listening to Ryan Huska talk about Andrew Mangiapane today, he said he needs to bring people along with him. And I don't think we've seen enough of that drag people into the fight element that he's basically known for, at least in my books, known for with that tenacity and that ability to just be pesky. So if he can bring some of that tenacity back to his game, some of that peskiness and get into those greasy, dirty areas where he scored the majority of his 35 goals, he'll get right back on track. So I don't know what the reason is, but Manjapani just, I, I am a massive fan of this player. I, I think that when he's right, he is the type of player that just does everything right. Doesn't do anything spectacularly, but just does everything right. He's a two-way player. He's smart. He's a volume player. He gets opportunity. He gets to the right spots. He's got a good shot. But what we're seeing from him, guys, I just went and pulled this because I was pretty sure of it, but I wanted just to have the numbers up in front of me. His underlying metrics and his outputs, like his underlying outputs are way down from what we're used to. So, for instance, uh, uh, shots per 60. He is down to the lowest rate that we've seen from him since 2021, uh, and he's way down from last year. His shot attempts per 60, the second lowest in his career. His scoring chance per 60, lowest of his career. High danger scoring chances per 60, lowest of his career. And so, and this is at five on five. And so, for me... That's that's a little that's a little I don't want to say alarming but it's very telling that when Andrews right he just plays a very simple straightforward game that is all about getting pucks on net getting yourself to tough areas getting yourself into the the circle areas uh battling for pucks and just being a tenacious player at both ends of the ice and and I do Willsey what you talked about about the whole idea of you know, wanting to score and thinking you need to score. I get it because I, I think he's a human being like everybody else is in that he scored 35 one year and then it dropped significantly. And so, and, and it dropped, I don't want to say dropped right off, but those numbers came back down to earth last year. And, and this year it's not like it has swung dramatically. I just think if Andrew goes back to, focusing on what has always made him a damn good player in this league. And that is just being a simple guy who loses battles very rarely and always just does everything right. I think that the offense follows him and it's probably not going to be 35 goals, but I think the guy's got 20 in him on an annual basis. And I still believe that. So I think that that is, is the main thing that, I'm seeing right now or my main hypothesis in terms of what I'm seeing right now. And uh, I'm curious if having his ice time dialed back in the third period of Saturday night is one of those things that can just be, okay, that's a little bit of a wake up call. Let's get back to doing what I do best. I think it can be. It's worked for some other guys on the team. And I give Ryan Huska a lot of credit because he's got, I think a really good feel for who is going and who isn't going in games. And as you pointed out, he is willing to shorten his bench, especially if things are close in the third period, whether it's you know a tie game or his team's up a goal or two or down a goal or two, he is not afraid to go down to three lines. And uh, that sends a message to players. And I think that 
it has created some internal competition on the team as well. And I always think that's a good thing. And, you know, in Majapani's defense, he has bounced around a little bit. Uh, the Flames have spent a lot of time looking for forward lines that work. And uh, he's played on the left side. He's played on the right side. He's played on uh, the top three lines. So uh, if you're looking to make some excuses for Andrew Majapani, I think there are certainly some to be made. But I think this is more about him putting a lot of pressure on himself after signing a three-year, 17 17- million contract. I mean, when you go from making next to nothing by NHL standards, uh, well, I shouldn't say next to nothing. Uh, His last contract paid him uh, an average annual value of uh, $2.425 million. So uh, that's a lot of money still. But when you jump from that to $5.8 million as an AAV, uh, I think you put a lot of pressure on yourself to do what you're being paid to do. And in his case, he signed that contract after he scored 35 goals. So in his mind, I'm sure he believes that he's being paid to go out there and score goals. But I still think that he can be an effective player if he's not scoring goals, which he has been. Uh, maybe not as consistency, consistently as he'd like to be. But for him, and I forget which coach it was that said it, he's at his best when at the end of the shift, his helmet's on crooked. That was actually you know the, the, I mean? old, that was the old GM who into, said that. That's right. Yeah, Brad Treloving. So uh, that's what... Andrew Mangiapane does best. It's, uh, you know, he's a small dog, but he's willing to get into a, a fight with bigger dogs. And quite often, uh, he, he wins those battles by going to the hard areas. And I've said this a million times, he makes more plays from his knees than any player in the NHL because he, he's in there battling and he gets knocked down. He's just not going to give up on the play. And, and I think that's how he has to score his goals as opposed to being one of those guys who's just really naturally gifted at putting the puck in the net and can score from distance. He's, he's not that player. So I, I think it's in him as well, Pat. I'm not saying that he's going to get back to being a, a 35 goal guy. I think he could get there again, but I look at him more as a, a 20 to 30 goal guy. Uh, and right now he's not quite on pace for that, but I think if he can get back to just uh, you know playing a simpler brand of hockey and finding those battles and winning those battles, then he's going to start to put the puck in the net again. Yeah, for me, you said one of the keywords there, simple. And so I'll go direct and simple. And goal should be a byproduct of his game, not the focus of his game for me. And that's where he'll hmm. find his most success. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Uh, Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this Monday. Uh, gents, power play has been trending in a good direction over the last three games. And then it broke through with... You know, I'll, I'll, it was technically two power play goals, but, you know, I'll, I'll maybe focus on the first one, the Backlund goal, because the second one was six on four and was a good bounce off the end boards. But I, the, the, the thing that really encouraged me was that first power play goal because it seemed like it was just a continuation of what they'd done the prior two. So that's three straight games where the power play has looked better. What's been the biggest change in your eyes? Well, you can certainly see it coming. I thought they had uh, a lot of great chances, to your point, in the previous two games, and the puck just didn't go in the net. And they were definitely overdue to score a power play goal, so it was good to see them get a couple. And when I think about that first power play, for me, it it all kind of starts on what Connor Zeri did to keep the play alive in the offensive zone. He didn't get an assist on the goal, but his play at the blue line to protect the puck was simply outstanding he's not the biggest guy but i thought he did a great job using his body to protect the puck to buy his team some time to allow guys to to get to where they needed to be and then it was 
really three quick passes as he gave the puck to, I believe it was Mackenzie Wieger, who then gave it to Adam Ruzitska, who put it in front of the net to Michael Backlund. But, but what I've seen on the Flames power play over the last three games, they've just been a lot less static. For, for me, they were way too predictable. Basically, guys would get to their spots. You'd have uh, uh, one guy uh, in front of the net. You'd have one guy in the bumper position. You'd have the quarterback back of the blue line. And then you'd have one guy on the left flank and one guy on the right flank. And they didn't really move around much. So I think what they allowed teams to do was just get into their penalty killing box and stay there. But the last three games, there's been much more movement and that's created some chaos. And they've done a really good job funneling pucks to the net, setting up screens, making life difficult for their opponent's goaltender. And it was so good to see them get rewarded for their hard work because uh, they must have been frustrated. They didn't score in the, the previous two games and then they tally a couple of times in the last game. So. Uh, it's really what Mark Savard's been saying all along and Ryan Huska has been saying all along when asked about the team's struggling power play. We've got to move it better. We've got to move it quicker. And, and they've done that the last three games. For me, it comes down to the puck movement, as you mentioned, Wilsey, and being able to move it east-west quicker instead of, you know, going to the flank, then back up to the top, then down to the other side, then back to the top, so on and so forth. They've been able to find seams a little bit more and that's generated by quick, rapid movement. The other thing, that's sort of been building for me over the course of the last couple of games. And this isn't a hundred percent. This isn't foolproof. This isn't, it happens every single time they try it, but I feel like they're gaining the zone. I don't want to say easier, but they're gaining the zone with more regularity, whether it's skating the puck in or just being stronger on retrievals when they have had to dump the puck in. And there's certainly been some power plays or some sequences where they get shut out at the blue line and the puck goes 130 feet back the other way. But just generally speaking, I think they've had a lot more success gaining the zone or retrieving the puck when they've had to dump it in and then setting up the unit. The uh, the simple answer for me, guys, and and I, I think that at least on the the number one unit, the the answer for me is I think it comes down to number seventeen. I really do. I think Yegor Sharangovich has given them something on that number one unit that they haven't had. And even though that number one unit hasn't scored a five-on-four goal in this stretch of time that we're talking about, I think what he has done is twofold. Mark Savard talked about it on our post-game show on Saturday, uh, and that is he's given them a real shooting threat. And Ryan Huska reiterated that after practice on Monday. He's their best one-time threat. He's got maybe the best outside shot on the team, and we've started to see that a little bit more. I thought Sharon Govich was dangerous all night against the Canucks was one of the better Flames players, and I think he's been one of the more consistent players going back to this team's turnaround, and that consistency has earned him a shot back on the number one power play unit. So it gives him a shot option, and Ryan Huska told us this off the air uh, a couple of days ago, Wilsey, and also said it after practice again on Monday. He has given them a much different element in how they enter the zone as well. And his zone entries have made it so the Flames are much better equipped to get set up. And his shot uh, has allowed them to have a little bit of a different element so that penalty kills can't just settle in and they have to respect that shot because it's dangerous and it can find pay dirt. So I, I honestly think at least on the number one unit, what has made it more dangerous and what has made it very different looking is having Sharon Govich back on it and having Sharon Govich be a much more comfortable 
and sure of himself player on the team. And then I also think what you guys just talked about, and it especially applies to that second unit, is is bang on as well. But the, the thing that I've noticed more than anything else is what we've seen from Sharon Govich. He's been really good. And he's really coming around, uh, not only on the power play, Pat, but I really like his five-on-five game as well. Yeah, agreed. He's really good without the puck, and he's getting better with it. He's an exciting young player for the Flames and definitely trending in the right direction. And he's not the only guy who's starting to feel it a little bit. You know, Jonathan Huberto is starting to look like his old self with some of the passes that he's making. And Elias Lindholm's starting to shoot the puck more. So when some of your top players start to feel it offensively, uh, it's certainly going to help your power play. A couple of other things, face-offs. They've been better in the face-off circle. It's so much easier when you don't have to waste 20, 25 seconds chasing the puck down the ice and then trying to re-enter the zone again. And then that would be the other thing. I think they've been a lot better with their zone entries. Sharon Govich has been a big part of that. So uh, we've been talking about it for, what, years now? Feels like years. Feels like it. At least uh, days, if not weeks. Uh, Yeah, but this power play, it's going to be key for the Flames moving forward because they've got a bit of a gauntlet as far as their schedule is concerned between now and Christmas and uh, where they're at to come the Christmas break really could determine where this team goes short-term, maybe even long-term as far as uh, the direction they head in. So uh, if they're going to beat some of these really good teams, some of the top teams in the league, they're going to have to continue to play well five on five, Thought they took a bit of a step back on Saturday night. So they can get back to where they were the the previous two games. And uh, that's going to be good. But they're going to have to at least break even, if not win the special teams battle more often than not, if they're going to beat uh, some of these elite teams in the league. So uh, special teams can be streaky. They just went through a really long bad streak. Hopefully what we saw in that game against the Canucks is the start of a good streak for the Flames. Thank you, Wilsey. Okay, guys. Derek Wills is the voice of the Calgary Flames. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg, and then I'll start to uh, wrap us up on this Monday edition of our Daily Flames Roundtable and start to wrap us up this hour. Thanks to uh, Taylor and Cam, our producers this hour as well. And the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.